We're in the middle of our kingdom culture series, and uh, I, I tell you what, <laughs> I get so excited when we talk about the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God is the most hopeful, the most joyful, the most peaceful place on earth. The safest place on earth that you can be in is in the kingdom of God. And I know sometimes these concepts don't make a whole lot of sense, but that's what we're talking about. We want to teach our church how to operate and live within the kingdom and from the kingdom into the rest of this world. Um, you can be in the most dangerous place out there. If God sent you there, you are safe. You can be in the most dangerous place out there. If God sent you there, you are safe. We have to understand that the spiritual reality has, is greater than our physical reality. God wants to lift us out of a plane of decision making that is earthly. That takes consideration of everything earthly before making a decision. And by focusing on what he says in his word about you, about your calling, about your purpose, and lift yourself to that plane of thinking and of decision making, and to go and respond to the call of God, no matter where it leads you or whatever it asks you to do. Because if you respond to the will of God, you are in his kingdom, and in his kingdom you are safe. We have got to learn how to live from the kingdom of God. So many of our breakthroughs and so many of the prayers that we are praying to be answered lies in us understanding the kingdom of God, understanding the authority of the kingdom of God, understanding the freedom of the kingdom of God. And so it is such a great concept to, to be exploring and um, how it relates to our everyday life in Christ. We have to understand that the kingdom of God is greater than the church. Even the global church, the, the capital C church, the kingdom of God is even bigger than that. The kingdom of God is even bigger than heaven. Sometimes when we hear the kingdom of God, we just automatically think, okay, it's heaven. No, the kingdom of God is bigger than heaven. And when we hear the term kingdom, the intent of God was never for us, for his kingdom to be confined to heaven. It was always for it to spill out of heaven onto earth. He wanted his kingdom to be inside of the hearts of men so that, it will, so that we will start spreading the culture of the, kingdoms throughout, the kingdom throughout the world so that the earth will start looking more and more like heaven does. Adam obviously messed that up, right? Adam obviously messed that up. Um, but the Bible speaks about Adam, but then it speaks about the last Adam. And we know from context that the last Adam is actually Jesus Christ. And he came to reestablish his kingdom. And he, he kick-started the greatest comeback that there is. The reestablishing of the kingdom and heaven's will on earth. Up to that point, the kingdom of Satan was the only dominating force on earth. And God preserved a bunch of people with very strict laws, external control because they did not have a kingdom resident on the inside of them that put the law of God on their hearts. But eventually, that is what he did when he brought Jesus, when Jesus came. He changed the, 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 the way the kingdom, 
His will operates from, from external control to internal control. To my, my, my internal desires changing so that it becomes conformed to the law of God. In other words, it's not like I don't do things because I'm not allowed to do them. I don't do it because I don't want to do them. I obey God, not because it's the thing that Christians do. No, I obey God because it's wonderful to obey God. His law is written on my heart. And when I don't obey God, I feel kind of crappy. When I do obey God, I feel peace and joy. Because my heart has changed. My desire, my true desire has changed. And what temptation does is it brings a lie to me and tells me, no, no, no. You don't want to do that. You want to do this. You want to sin. This is what you really want. And your flesh will scream so loud at you that this is really what you want to do. And what we are learning to do as kingdom citizens is we're learning to differentiate between what the flesh tells us we desire and what is truly our desire as spiritual beings, which is to please God. And we learn how to say no to those desires that we know really. Come on, let's be honest. If you sin, if you disobey God, do you feel awesome about it? No, you feel, like, you feel immediate condemnation. We condemn ourselves immediately right? Because we realize, man, I shouldn't have done that. But then the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes and says to us, you're still my child. Here's the path I want you to follow in. And when we respond to that, immediately peace is restored. Immediately our joy is restored in the Lord. But that's the heart. It's a, it's a kingdom that lives on the inside of us that governs us so that, our, so that the culture of the kingdom progressively becomes our culture that is spread into the world. And by that, heaven comes to earth. Romans 14, 17 says this, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Back in the days they had an, a slew of laws about eating and drinking. The do's and the don'ts of religion. The kingdom of God is not about the do's and the don'ts of religion. This is what the context means. But it's of righteousness, of peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So let the, us then pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. This talks about two things. It talks about righteousness and then peace and joy. And we'll talk about peace and joy in another time. But today I want to focus on righteousness. What is righteousness in the Bible? It's first a right standing with God. In other words, I am no longer standing accused when I come before Jesus, when I come before, when I come before God the Father. Jesus, my advocate, is, has, has basically proven that I am now innocent. Because the payment has been done, the, the sacrifice has been made that have paid the penalty for my guilt. And I no longer stand accused. I am now in right standing, righteousness before God. So that's why we no longer refer to ourselves as sinners. Does it mean that we're perfect and we don't sin? No, it does not mean that. It just means that our standing has changed. We are no longer accused. We have been accepted in the beloved. The Bible says we are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. The accused me have passed away. The sinner me have passed away. Now it's the righteous me that lives. The new has come. The accepted is here. My standing has changed. I am no longer guilty. I have been redeemed. 
that happened in Christ because of my faith in what Jesus did on the cross for me. It's anyways nothing I could have ever done for myself. I had to have somebody step in on my behalf. Jesus did that. And it made me become righteous because I believed. So righteousness refers to a right standing in God. And what, what upholds my right standing? Is it my works? Is it my, 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 me trying to balance the scales? No, it's nothing to do with that. It's everything to do with the perfect sacrifice, the perfect work that Christ did on the cross. I do not have to add good works to that to keep my standing. I have to believe to keep my standing. The second thing that righteousness talks about is right living. Sometimes the Bible talks about righteousness as, a, as, a, as right living. And sometimes it's both, right standing and right living. Now, I fully believe, and I always say that, that right believing leads to right living. If I see myself as accused, as guilty, as, as still a sinner, my nature determines my actions. A fish swims because he's a fish. Um, my nature determines my activity. Then all I will be doing is I'll still be a slave under the domination of sin and temptation. When I understand that I have been redeemed, I no longer stand accused. I'm in right standing with God. I am no longer a sinner. I do not want to sin anymore. That righteous nature on the inside of me guides me to perform acts of righteousness, right living. Living according to the will of God, according to the patterns of God, living according to the promises of God. But because I'm in this earthen vessel, I still fail. I don't get it right perfectly. And so that's why I still sin. But the sin I now do is no longer affecting my nature, which is righteous, because that I've been secured, I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit residing on the inside of me for the day of salvation. I am still righteous, even though I do still sin. But my standing has changed. I'm no longer accused. I'm redeemed. I am righteous. I am holy. That's what Chuck said. So I know who I am. I am who he says I am, not what my mistakes try to tell me I am. Not what my weaknesses try to tell me I am. I am redeemed. I am strong. I am loved, accepted, and all of those nice, fuzzy, and warm things, right? So we become positionally righteous when we are born again. Positionally righteous. Uh, when we are born again as citizens of, of, of heaven, but we become practically righteous when we live out kingdom culture. And God, the kingdom of God is about both those things. It's first and foremost getting us to be translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And secondly, now that I am in the kingdom of light, it wants to get the kingdom of light to shine forth from me in righteous living. And so both are important. We can't just take advantage of all this grace that we've received and then go and live as we choose. No, that wasn't the purpose. The purpose wasn't for you to have license to sin. No, the purpose for you was to live victorious over the temptation of sin. So you can walk victorious over every temptation. You believe me? You can walk victorious over every temptation. Why? Because you've got a new nature. And that nature is redeemed. It's like Christ's nature. It's holy. So when the Bible says, if you live according to the Spirit, you will not fulfill 
the desires of the flesh. But that's what we've got to understand. We've got to continue to see ourselves like that. The minute we allow condemnation to tell us, oh, I'm just a worm. You know, I'm just a sinner. You know, this is never going to change. You know, really, it's never going to change. You know, I'm, uh, you know it's just, it is what it is. No, it, it's not what it is. This is not what it is. This is what it is. Yes, I made a mistake. Yes, I sinned. Oh, and I feel horrible for it. Lord, help me to please you. Help me to glorify you. Let right living more and more be established in my heart and in my life and in my practice. Because I want to reflect externally what I've become internally. I want to reflect kingdom culture. So last week we shared about the word culture. It's become kind of like a buzzword. You know, people talk about toxic cultures. People talk about unhealthy cultures or healthy cultures. Culture really, if you can, it can be defined as just in our everyday existence. It's how we conduct ourselves naturally, um, and, and, and that characterizes us as who, as, as, as who we are, right? It, it tells us about a group of people. It tells us about an organization. It tells us something about their shared attitudes, their values, their goals, their societal practices, and their material traits. It tells us a lot about them. And so culture um, in church, in the church world, have, have become... Um, Almost like a goal that people try to reach. People say, no, we want to have a culture of worship. Or we want to have a culture of prophetic. Or we want to have a culture of discipleship. We want to have a culture of this. And, and unfortunately, as we as humans are, we kind of try to, you know, we, we, we punt our idea of the kind of culture we want, you know, to the point that we try and make everybody else's idea of what culture needs to be a little less than, Right? God forgive us, we're broken people. But that's what happens. Uh, we try to make uh, our idea. R- really, what we actually want to focus on is, is all of them. <laughs> because they're all actually aspects that fall under the one big umbrella called the kingdom culture. So if you think of the kingdom of God as a country, as a people group, right? If you think of the kingdom of God as a government, Then you think of culture. This is how we do things in America. This is how we do things in the South. It's cultural concepts, ideas. The kingdom of God has a culture, and it includes worship, discipleship, prophecy. It includes service. It includes compassion, caring for the poor and the... the, 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 um, the downtrodden. The kingdom of God's culture encompasses all of the goodness of God expressed in practical terms in worship to Him and service to our fellow man. So we really need to talk about the kingdom of God we, because the, the, the kingdom culture then should be describing the everyday existence of citizens of that kingdom, which in our case is Christians. It describes our everyday existence. So if you think of your everyday existence, how does that reflect the kingdom of God? It reflects it in the fruits of the Holy Spirit, right? We try and, you know, be nice with people. 
in, in all those amazing ways, right? It, it showcases the compassion of God. It showcases the love of God. It showcases also, um, you know, the intentions of God in helping people, not just out of a tight bind, but also out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of heaven. All of this includes the kingdom of God. So we need a culture of worship. We need a culture of discipleship. We need all of these cultures, but really what we're talking about is the kingdom of God. Y'all get it, okay? Good. So, in kingdom culture, we've been talking about a couple of the values that help us as a people to, to create this culture about us. Okay, so every church has a culture. Our church has a culture. When you came in today, you experienced our church culture. We try and, re, we try and emphasize for ourselves what we believe the kingdom culture should be expressed as so that we as a church create a culture that is akin to kingdom culture, right? And so we have values as a church family, things that we hold dear, things that we are convicted about, that if we would do these things, we would model the kingdom to people. And if we model the kingdom to people, God's goodness will draw them unto repentance. Okay? So that's the whole idea. And so we've spoken about Jesus being our center. The kingdom cult, in the kingdom culture, Jesus is our center. He's the foundation of our faith. And you can go and listen to this and, and preach one and two about, uh, about this series. Everything is built on him and around him and for him. His life, death, resurrection, his exaltation as king, his character, his methods, and his promises. All of those things is what we center our hearts and minds around. And unle- until we center our hearts and minds around this founding thought of the kingdom of God, we will really not produce the rest of the kingdom. What we will produce is we will produce our own ideas. We will produce our own, you know, little fad doctrines, our own little, um, you know, uh, moral ideas of what it means to be Christians. We want to conform to the kingdom of God in the best possible way. In the kingdom of God, growth is our pursuit. We want to become more and more practically like Jesus because we understand because we have been declared blameless declared holy by the blood of Jesus right we are in spirit holy and like Christ we understand that we're created body soul and spirit and in our flesh we are still being sanctified and we need to be sanctified until the day of his return where we will be fully sanctified and we will be holy mind body soul spirit everything okay So I understand all of that, and I'm in full agreement with that. But what we want to see is we want to see an ever, on this side, in our our position as Christians, we want to see an ever-increasing practice of kingdom culture. Ever-increasing practice of the kingdom culture, where we become victorious over sin. Like if I have a problem with anger issues, we want to see that disappear. If I have a proclivity to have addict- addiction, uh, I want to see that disappear. If I am sub- addicted to a substance at this time, I want to be able to see that disappear over time. Why? Because practically we want to see the kingdom of God expressed out of our lives. And so when somebody says, well, you know what, um, that's not, I mean, why, why is that such a big deal? You know, it doesn't cause any, any physical harm. It doesn't cause any, you know, uh, the fact is that it's still dominating you. And in the kingdom of God, nothing on earth is meant to dominate God's children. 
we are called to live in only one submission, and that is to the Holy Spirit, to God's word, which is the same thing, right? It says the same thing. Only submission we have is to God's word and his Holy Spirit, which echoes each other. So, so anything you submit to, whether it's as simple as caffeine, oh, I can't do this without caffeine. Hold up now. That's an issue for the kingdom. I mean, I love my coffee, I do. But every now and then, I will make sure that I break any addiction that that thing has on me by fasting of it. Sugar. Ooh. Got to have me my little chocolate, you know. Well, it's, and now we're, we're not even talking about tobacco products, weed, other harder, hard, you know, drugs or nothing. Why? Because the principle isn't the severity of the addiction. The principle is addiction by itself. The kingdom of God wants you to submit to one thing and one thing only, and that's the word of God. And the more you compromise in, in, in submitting to other little things, the more you will listen to that instead of to the kingdom of God, to that instead of the Bible. And so that is what growth is about. Now, is there condemnation while you're still struggling through it, while you're still battling that, 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 that giant in your life? Are you unwelcome in the church? Are you looked down upon? No, you're not. Why? Because you are righteous and we honor Christ in everybody that is here, right? So we accept you as you are. We love you. We enjoy you. We're not even going like, oh, there's that guy again. Well, hello. No, that's hypocritical. We truly and honestly enjoy you and love you. Does, it let, does, does that mean we're letting go of the goal of the kingdom? Neither. It's both and. It's not either or. And so when somebody challenges you on something, for heaven's sake, don't take offense. The person is latching on to the goal that, that, that God wants for you to walk in victory over anything that dominates you. Don't be mad at him. Ask him to help you. Ask him to say, all right, pray with me. Let's take this journey of growth because growth is our pursuit. We want to um, become like him in spirit, mind, and practice, and even in death, because our our highest um, because the highest goal of a Christian is to glorify God, and if we live in this fashion, constantly pursuing growth toward Christ likeness in practice, that helps us to glorify God, reach our highest goal, which is to glorify God. Okay, then third, third thing we said was people are our passion. God loves every person on this planet, gave himself as a ransom price to everybody and all of them, okay? The word passion in the Greek literally means the word suffering. That movie, The Passion of the Christ, it's literally the suffering of the Christ in the Greek, all right? So what does that mean? That means we love people, we're passionate about people, we will sacrifice comforts, freedoms, rights in order to reach more people for Jesus. Who's with me? Almost, almost there, almost there. All right. General, growth is our pursuit, so we're going to grow toward that ideal. Okay? I understand that. But people are our passion. 
And as we grow in Christ, we become more and more willing to sacrifice comfort, to sacrifice rights and freedoms to not cause another to stumble in order to help another person to reach the same. Maturity in Christ leads us to that place, that willingness to help another grow up. Generosity is our joy. The Bible says those who sow in tears will reap in joy. Come on now, life group leaders, those of you who have, who have, who have invested in people and, 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 and need to continue to believe God for change to happen. Those who sow in tears will reap in joy. The Bible says no one has sacrificed anything for God and His gospel in this life who will not receive a hundred times as much in this life and the life to come. There is a promise for those who lay down certain things for the gospel. But that is our call. The joy of giving through serving, through love, through finances, to see even one soul accepting Jesus is profound beyond expression. Once you encounter that joy, knowing that your effort led to somebody, somebody's salvation, there's no joy greater apart from your own salvation. It is, man. Honor is our way. Honor acknowledges worth. God placed worth in every single human being. Honor recognizes value. God placed incredible giftings in each and every one of us in this room. And honor unlocks worth and value, which means that I get to receive whatever gifts are inside you when I start honoring you. I get to receive from you if I honor you. Honor is our way because every single person here has something to add, something to give, and we want you to, uh, to, to, to bless this community with that gift that God has given you. And so we recognize you, we value you, and we receive whom God has, what God has put inside of you. So today I'm going to talk about an aspect of the kingdom culture that is... Um, uh, it's called basically just the glory of God in the earth. Okay? God's glory in the earth. The Bible says that the knowledge of God's glory will spread over the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's Habakkuk uh, 2 verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now as far as I know that... Um, Everywhere where there is sea, there is water. Okay, so the water covers the sea 100%, right? Okay, so it's different depths though. Yeah, there are shallow areas, there are very, very, very deep areas, right? So God's glory, the knowledge of God's glory is going to fill the earth. It won't reach the same depth everywhere before the end comes, but it's going to reach everywhere before the end comes. Uh, Matthew 24, 14 says this, And this gospel of the kingdom, not salvation, this gospel of the kingdom, which includes salvation, but it's not purely just salvation. It's about righteousness and right living, right standing and right living. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached, proclaimed throughout the world, as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And then the end will come. So, so let me just say something here about Jesus is coming soon. I believe Jesus is coming soon, but soon is a very relative term. Because the disciples, right after the destruction of the temple, thought Jesus' return was like so soon imminent that they didn't even 
get jobs or save money or nothing. And yet here we are, 2,000 plus years later. Be careful what you start building your concept of soon as. Because there's a lot of work that still needs to be done, y'all. No point in stopping the work at this time. There are still a heck of a lot of cultures and places in the world where the gospel has never reached. Never. There are tribes in rural places where the gospel has not gone to, of the kingdom has not gone to. So what am I saying? I'm saying the work's not done yet, so Jesus isn't coming home tomorrow. Soon, yes. Tomorrow, I don't know. I'm careful about making that declaration. Because I know that there are people that Jesus loves that have not heard the gospel of the kingdom yet. I think it's a little prideful to think, all right, Jesus is coming soon. As if you don't care about those people. So let's be careful how we conceptualize that statement. I believe he's coming soon, as did the early disciples. I don't think it's just like tomorrow yet, though. I think there's still a couple of missions that we need to go on. I think there's still a couple of tribes that need to be reached. I think there's still some work of translating the Bible into different, different languages that need to take place so that those people might learn about the kingdom the way you and I have been absolutely blessed in the West to learn about the kingdom of God. The job's not done. And so there is a call on us to not just hog the kingdom for ourselves. So we're going to talk about how the kingdom of God um, expands and expresses the glory of God in the world through influence, pressure, and confrontation. We'll talk about that next week. But the glory of God must be spread across all tribes and all nations. So when Jesus said, all authority in Matthew 28, in heaven and earth has been given to me. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe, that is the righteous living, observe all that I have commanded you. I am with you always. He really meant for all of us to get off our comfy, blessed assurances and get on with it. If this offends you, don't read Paul. Because he'll really upset you. Jesus sent the church by charging his leaders, its leaders, spread out across the globe and tell people about the government of God coming to earth. That is, that is a fact. And we haven't been doing badly, but we haven't been doing great either. We're slow. 2,000 years and there are still people that have never heard that's an indictment against the church that have grown comfortable and self-absorbed. It's all about me and my prosperity and my blessing, my healing. Instead of recognizing that the kingdom of God includes my prosperity, my healing, my blessing, but it's for a purpose. It's so that all may hear. Your testimony is meant 
to change somebody else. So the second aspect is that where the glory of God is revealed, it results in God being glorified, right? So when we see something about God, essentially worship is just a response to revelation. And it's a pattern of revelation and response, revelation and response. If you struggle to worship, work on your revelation of God. Because the Bible says that every single time somebody in heaven shouts holy, which, which means set apart, special and different from the whole. Every single time somebody in heaven shouts holy, they recognize something about God that is incredible to them. It's a revelation to them. And then everybody else throws down what they're busy doing. Crowns, which is their job. They're rulers there, right? So everybody stops what they're doing and they acknowledge and worship. They echo, wow, that is amazing. When God's glory is revealed, it results in Him being glorified by us, by people. So if you struggle to glorify God, it's because there is maybe a lack of revelation. At least there's a lack of kingdom culture. And so you need more kingdom culture, less human culture. Human culture is insecure. Somebody says something great about somebody else, your natural response is, well, it ain't that great at all. Well, really, if you think about it, you know, it's, it's just standard, you know. Well, I heard, you know, that, you know, the opposite. Why? Because we're so insecure. Instead of celebrating things that people are saying about other people, going like, yeah, that's a stellar guy. Man, that's an upstanding lady. What a woman. Now we go, well, she's a, little, she's a little edgy for me, you know, really. I think she needs to submit more. Um, when God is revealed, God is glorified. He is worshipped. So, so, so I want to challenge us here today especially sometimes we find that people come to church but they don't engage in the worship part now i know all of it is worship but i want to challenge you today the angels stop what they're doing maybe you're out there in the forest sometime and I just want to say, if, it's, if, you, if you have a job to fulfill on the dream team, it's great. But don't hide from worship, please. Don't hide from worship. Come and glorify God with us in worship. Because where the kingdom of God comes and kingdom culture is established, worship takes place. There is a worship culture in kingdom culture. And God wants as much for you to worship Him as anybody else. He wants to hear your voice, not just the ones in the front's voice. Now, you don't have to have a voice that's supposed to go over a mic to be able to sing to God. There's a big filter in heaven. This is just, you know, JJ 1 verse 1, verse maybe 10, that, 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 that holifies every voice, every sound that comes out of your mouth before it reaches the ears of God, right? So for those of y'all who are thankful for that, you know, just, just big old amen right there. But 
don't worry how you sound. God listens to your heart, not to your, not to your voice. He listens to your voice, but he, he hears your heart. Let him hear your heart. Let him hear your heart through your voice. Worship the king with us. Um, kingdom culture acknowledges Christ's exalted position and it enjoys humbly sitting at his feet in honoring fellowship and worship. That's what kingdom citizens do. Passionate worship is our intimate response to the glory of God. Passionate worship is our intimate response. See, because Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship with a radical purpose. I know you've heard it said. <laughs> Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. You need to add something there for it to be biblical. Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship, but it's a relationship with a radical purpose. It's not a relationship unto me. It's not a relationship unto me. It's not a relationship that is about me. It's a relationship that is about Jesus, about his kingdom, about the lifestyle that he is inviting me to walk in with him. You see, we are called to intimacy and we are called to mission. All of us. The purpose of the kingdom is to establish people in right standing and in right living. And that right living will include the purpose of the kingdom. Which is to help establish people in right standing and right living. Right living will include the purpose of the kingdom. Which is to establish people in right standing and in right living. If you're living right, you will live out the purpose of the kingdom, which is to help other people established in right standing and in right living. We are called to intimacy out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, intimacy with Jesus relationally, being accepted by his grace, no longer dependent on our good works for salvation and relationship. No, based on our faith and his grace, we are saved and accepted in the beloved. We are in an intimate, close relationship with him where we've been set free from our sin, completely redeemed and absolved of all our guilt and shame, healed from our brokenness. For what? Just so that we can now park off and go happy, live happily ever after. You know, I always say, I, I, say before, I, I don't believe that happily ever after. I want to say, that's why I love sequels, by the way. <laughs> I don't care how bad a sequel was. I love sequels because I want to know what really happened in the happily ever after, blah, blah, blah. I want to see where how it translated but the happily ever after in christianity is now right living and my right living includes the mission of the kingdom which is to help people to get established in right standing and in right living the mission of god is to reach people and to build lives that's where we get our mission statement from 
If that's the mission of the kingdom, it means that every single one of us are included in this mission. We are all missionaries. Say it, I'm a missionary. Say it with conviction. I'm a missionary. Such is the value of each of you that not only are you accepted in the beloved as a child of God, you are deemed significant enough to be invited to join his work. You are deemed valuable enough with enough, you have been given enough on the inside of you that God says, I need you. I need that in my work. I need that in my kingdom. I need that displayed to people around me. I need your witness. I need your testimony. I need your effort, your love, your compassion. I need your gifts because you are going to help us reach the mission of the kingdom, which is to establish people in right standing and establish people in right living. You are a missionary. You have been deemed important enough to be called as a part of his work. Now, for those of you who struggle to believe that about yourself, listen to what Paul, I mean, this is Paul, y'all. Listen to what he says. For those of you who don't know who Paul was, he like wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He was an incredible minister of the gospel, miracles, blah, blah, blah. Listen to what he says. He says, 2 Corinthians 3, 3. As a result of our ministry, you are are the living letters written by Christ, not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not carved onto stone tablets, but onto the tablets of tender hearts. Verse 4, we carry this confidence in our hearts because of our union with Christ before God, yet we don't see ourselves as capable enough to do anything in our own strength. Let me just stop there and tell you, if you don't think you can do something, it's purely because you're depending on your strength to do it. Our true competence flows from God's empowering presence. The presence of God lives on the inside of you. That means God's empowering presence can enable you with competence to do what he has called you to do. Listen to verse 6. He alone makes us adequate ministers who are focused on an entirely new covenant. He alone makes us adequate as ministers. You are a missionary, but you are made adequate as a missionary by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, not your own strength. Is there ever a time when you're not a child of God? So some might go like, yes, I sinned the other day, and so that meant I lost my, my childhood to God. No, that's not how it works, okay? Gray might do something really bad, but he's always going to be my son. Joy, she just left. She will always be my daughter, no matter how big she messes up. There's, she doesn't even have to wonder whether I love her. Love comes as a part of the package. She's my daughter. And those other two, too. Always, they'll remain my daughters and my son. Now, I might have to help them to, with, the, with the righteous living part, but their position never changes. And that's what we need to get, y'all. In Christ, our position never changes. doesn't matter how successful or how much we struggle. In Christ, 
doesn't even matter how much we rebel. You're still my child. You're still a child of God. Is there ever a time when you're not a citizen of the kingdom of God? No. You were born a citizen, right? Y'all were born Americans. I was born South African. I'm trying to become an American, but it's difficult. It's easier to be born one than it is to become one. Trust me. It's expensive to become one. It's cheap to be born one. You were born a citizen. That's why the Bible talks the language. You are born again. It means you are spiritually born as a new citizen of a new kingdom. That's how you get translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Right? So you are born and you will remain. Now you might be a citizen that get incarcerated, but your standing is still citizen. And when you paid your dues and you get out, you don't have to leave the country. You're still citizen. Ah, however, <laughs> if I get caught doing anything wrong, it's just like, <laughs> we ain't dealing with that. You can go deal with that in your country. No, the kingdom of God takes responsibility for its citizens. And it will long suffer with you, journey with you, slow but surely grow you to where, until you reach. It will never run out of patience. It will never run out of hope. It will never run out of compassion, sacrifice for you because that's the heart of the king toward his citizens. But does that change where he wants you to end up? No! So when somebody asks you about something in your life he's not judging you oh who are you to judge me no 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 no, no. i'm not judging you i'm bringing you the kingdom i'm trying to help you see that there is more there is a higher plane of living there's more victory for you there's more freedom for you When we stop growing, we stagnate, and soon we start compromising. Growth is our pursuit. Christ-likeness is our goal. Don't relent. Don't compromise on that goal, on that pursuit. Keep pushing. Keep pressing in. But even though, is there ever a time where I don't represent the kingdom of God? It, that's correct. But sometimes we think, mm, maybe do I represent the kingdom when I sin? Hmm. That's a difficult one because uh, when my kids mess up in somewhere, do they represent me? It's almost like it's a yes and a no in a sense, right? It's like <laughs> we're always representing the kingdom. Now, we're not doing a good job of it. But it doesn't mean that I become somebody, something different. I need to be careful, therefore, what I represent. I like how one of the, the members of our church told us the story. He said um, he's in the McDonald's drive-thru line, right? 
and, and, and of course, those speakers are just horrid, and you can't hear what the person is saying, especially me who listens with an accent, you know, of course. Uh, uh, and uh, so I can never, so he was struggling to hear, and he said, look, can I just come around to the window? So drives around to the window, but he's a little, you know, hot under the collar. And as he's about to respond to the person who is, you know, going to be uh, engaging with him, his wife taps him on the leg and is like, remember who you are, man of God. <laughs> Ooh, I was like, uh, <laughs> mm, 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 mm. Mm. I like that story because we are always representatives of the kingdom. Now, the world looks at Christianity and goes, whoa, that's whacked. Why? Because we think that it's okay to not represent the kingdom well. No. We need to remember who we are because no matter if you mess up or if you do good, it's always going to shine back on Christianity. Always. So from where do we get this notion that only some of us are in ministry it's not from the bible i'll just break the ice there every single one of us have been called as kingdom citizens to bring the kingdom to help people to serve people with the gifts and talents that we have received so we are all in ministry everyone is full-time all the time You are in ministry. Every day of your life, you are in ministry. Some of you might go, whoa, 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 I, wasn't, I didn't sign up for this. I wasn't ready for this. Sorry. <laughs> You're it. <laughs> it just is. This is what it is. There's no dress rehearsal. There's no practice round. It's live and it's now. You are in ministry. You are a minister of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Might not be going well. <laughs> I don't know. How's your mission going? Because you are supposed to be on a mission. Remember what happened to that other guy who didn't go to Nineveh? You. You are on a mission. Stop running away from your mission. It's time we engaged our mission, y'all. Where's my mission feel? I don't know. Where, what should I be doing? I've never been told to, 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 to go to that and that place, you know, Haiti or whatever. I don't, I'm not, I don't have a mission feel. I, I, I disagree slightly. But it's okay. L let's just fix it today. I'm going to give you a mission feel today, okay? Where do you work? Which school do your kids go to or do you go to? What sports clubs, pubs, not pubs, what sports clubs? <laughs> Ever wish you could catch a word and like reel it in? What social or sports clubs are you involved in? Take those three. They'll be your mission field. 
see, when Jesus said, go make disciples, he said it this way. As you go, make disciples. It wasn't go somewhere, make some disciples, and then come back and share the pictures and As you go, live and make disciples. This is why we're so adamant about discipleship, outreach, missions. It's why we're so convicted about everybody needing to be in small groups. We call them life groups, but you can also call them discipleship groups. It doesn't matter what you call them. The question is, are you being discipled so that you can learn how to make disciples? If you don't know where to begin, begin with starting to attend a life group. Because just being okay emotionally and in your life is not okay. God wants more for you. God wants you to walk in victory and strength. And God wants to include you in his call to bring the kingdom in your world. And we need to learn how to do that. I know it doesn't come just naturally. We need to be taught. We need to be, it needs to be caught. But we create this culture in our church where if we will do the things that we, 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 we participate with, we will learn it. We will grow together to be able to do it. So get discipled so that you can learn how to live free Know God, live free, and make disciples. That's one of our mottos here, here at, at OSC is, is know God. We want everybody to walk in relationship. But it's not just relationship. It's relationship with radical purpose. That purpose is to live free and use my testimony to help others to become known and to live free, making disciples. That's kingdom culture, y'all. Jesus once prayed this over his disciples before he went away. He, and, and I want to pray this over us as a church today. Okay? John 17, 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Jesus is saying, Lord, I'm not asking that you bring everybody onto church staff. Quit their jobs. Stop doing what they're doing. And now go and do missionary work for you. I'm not asking that you do that. I'm asking that you keep them from the evil one within their jobs, within their social settings. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus is sending us into this world to our workplaces, to our sports fields, to our clubs, our schools, our classes, our colleges, our universities. He is sending us to these mission fields to go and bring the kingdom there. The answer, the question is, will you answer your call? Will you answer your call? The mission is our priority. Mission is our priority. It's the priority of the kingdom of God. Let's all stand today.
Can we all close our eyes real quick? I want to ask you a question. If you're willing to say yes to Jesus, to join the mission, I want you to raise your hand right now. Keep it raised. Even if you don't feel I'm ready, you don't have to depend on your own strength. The Holy Spirit will empower you. What God wants to see is a willing heart. He prepares the willing. He qualifies the willing. Are you willing to say yes to His calling? To make mission, His mission, priority. Just raise your hand right now. Lord, you see every willing heart. God, for every unwilling heart, I pray your revelation will drop into their spirit. Whatever lie is causing them to not feel that they are supposed to do this, I pray that you will show them from your word the truth about you, your kingdom, and this world. I pray, God, that every person who is struggling to say, yes, I'm willing because of unbelief in their own hearts or fear, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will reach into those fears and you will establish them. You will affirm them as your sons and your daughters that are able to do so with your power. Anybody who's just feel like, ah, I just have questions. I need more questions answered. Lord, I pray that they will be willing to engage in conversation. But Lord, you see the hands of the willing Father who's saying yes to you today. I want to pray this prayer, Lord, in your name, Lord, because you're not here and on behalf, in your, on your behalf, Lord, I'm sending them into their workplaces. I'm sending them into their schools. I'm sending them into the universities. I'm sending them back to their homes, their families, all of these mission fields, their social clubs. I'm sending them there, Lord God, in the name of Jesus that they might go and bear fruit. That they might go and bear fruit, moral fruit, people fruit, character fruit. Father, but that they might help other people to discover you, discover faith, discover salvation. That they might learn how to make disciples also, Lord God. Because you've called us into this town, into this area, this parish, to bring your kingdom. And we say, yes, Lord. We say yes. However scary that is, however frightening it might be, we say yes because we know you are faithful. And if we're in your will, we're safe. We say yes, Lord. Here we are. We're ready to go. We're ready to go, Lord. Jesus' name.